We're going to go all the way through uh, verses 1 through 21 of 1 Corinthians tonight. I was trying to think of a message title. Uh, the series title is Growing Pains, and this is the ninth message. But I thought, I'm reading all through. I'm like, well, I, maybe I'll stop here in verse 8, or maybe I'll stop in verse 17. I thought, no, we can just, we can just cover the whole thing. And I was thinking, what could my sermon title be? And I just came up with the phrase... And I'm, I'm going to explain it to you, but only God can judge me. How many of you have heard that before? And people say that in the wrong context. They actually use it as a license to really sin and do whatever they want. Well, the Corinthian church had a problem. They had pride. They were puffed up in knowledge. We had just departed from Paul speaking to them about, you've got these different party leaders that you're elevating over what God's word has said. You guys need to be careful, careful of that. They're puffed up of knowledge. We just went through the end of 1 Corinthians 3, where we saw the judgment seat of Christ, where God will reward the thoughts and, and, and uh, intents of a person, not just the things that they did. Because can a person deceive another person through actions? Absolutely. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't do your alms in public so you can receive the praise of men. You will receive your reward, and it will be the praise of men. So there is a... There is a time where we can do and say things just to show off, just to have a you know, prideful attitude and say, look how religious I am, look what I do, look how good I am. And this is very dangerous, especially when you mix it with an unclear gospel. Because if you, Now if you have an unclear gospel and you have a person who's living righteously by the standards of man's righteous, well, that lost person is just going to compare himself to that person. And is that how we're judged? Now, we're judged according to the standard of perfection, which is on God's knowledge. And that is, we all fall short. But if you have prideful religious piety just out there, oh, look at me, kind of like the Pharisees were, and you have a younger person or a, you know, a, someone who doesn't have the gospel clear, they're just going to look to someone else as a comparison. And as they get puffed up in their own actions, now someone else will come along and look at them. And that's where you get bickering, and that's where you get arguing. And this is where people go, you hear the phrase, I don't like going to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. There are a bunch of hypocrites at church. It's true. But unfortunately, there are a lot of ministries where those hypocrites thrive. They are looked at as, well, this is what God's righteousness is. Look how good this person is. And it's a trap that the Corinthian believers were falling into. And it all comes back to being puffed up in man's knowledge. And you'll see, there's a lot to cover tonight, but I thought it's good to do it all together. So we're going to go... Not very quickly, but we're going to cover a lot of material. Now, we'll still get out of here on time, so don't worry about that. But I do want to encourage you to take notes, and if you can maybe watch this again um, sometime during the week, I think it'll be a benefit to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Thank you for those that are joining us on the live stream and those who are here in person. Bless us, Lord, as we study your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Because he lives, we can confidently face tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now you've heard this verse a lot, and we're going to talk about the context of these two verses. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. You need to underline that. This is how Paul sees himself. He is a minister of Christ. 
We'll talk later how he says, I'm the one who led you to the Lord, but that's not a prideful statement. He's trying to remind these Corinthian believers who have been puffed up by their many, many Christian instructors and lifted them onto a pedestal. Paul is reminding them and say, if anyone's going to give an account of us, if anyone's going to say something about us, we are ministers of Christ. What an attitude to have for a servant. As you grow and you have an opportunity to teach and to lead somebody and you become a role model in somebody's life, is it said of you that you are a minister of Christ? This should be our attitude. It's a great way to reset. It's a great way to see, well, why am I doing this service? Is it to bring pride to myself? Is it to check off a box in the eyes of others? Or am I really doing this for the glory, the praise, and the honor of God? Here's what it says in the rest of this verse. And stewards of the mysteries of God. I want to look at that word, stewards. If you would just circle that. The Greek word is oikonomos. Is that right, Mr. Gilbert? Oikonomos. I'm not sure if I'm saying the ending correct. But I want to read to you a description of what a steward was in that time. So you can understand, when they read steward, they probably had this picture in their mind. The steward, or oikonomos, was the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of the family, providing food for the household, seeing it served out at the proper times and seasons, and in proper quantities. He received all the cash, expended what was necessary for the support of the family, and kept exact accounts, which he was obliged at certain times to lay before the master to give an account. Do you see the responsibility in the word stewards? And now we get to the verse that you've heard so many times, but you've now understood it in context. Paul is saying he just got done telling them, man's knowledge puffeth up. The knowledge of God is from the Spirit. Seek that knowledge. You're lifting yourselves up by saying, I'm a Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He's reminding them, I'm a steward for the mysteries of God. Not for you, but for the mysteries of God. Verse 2, Moreover, it is required in those stewards of big responsibilities that a man be found, what? Faithful. So you hear this all the time, right? You hear the word faithful. You know, faithful is not a results-based word. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? I got a little report. The Bucks won. Just so you know. We're going to the Super Bowl. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Fast forward through this part when you're watching it later. No, <laughs> that word faithful, isn't it good that it's not results-based? Think about some people that were found faithful in the Word of God, yet they yielded very little results in the eyes of the world. Can you think of somebody right off the bat? The person I think of right away is Noah. Noah, 120 years, labored, prepared, warned, only his family got on. And in Hebrews, he's there. Hebrews, is, he's there in the hall of faith. Think about Abraham. Your seed is going to be as innumerable as the sands of the sea. Did he ever see that come to fruition in his life? No. But he still found faithful. I was explaining to the ranch kids the other day that Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8, talk about planting and reaping. You sow something into the ground, and over time, what you sowed into the ground is going to come up. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap 
of the things everlasting. And the concept there is we're always planting something. And when you just open your Bible every day and read the Word of God and pray over it, that's being found faithful. When you have a track on your person and you share the gospel, that's being found faithful. Even yesterday when I was at the line at the gun show on my day off, you know, having fun, it wasn't a day off from soul winning. It's the attitude that we possess. A man should be found faithful. You in your personal walk with the Lord, you should be faithful to Him. He's given you a responsibility in the gospel in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. So now we look at that word stewards. We look at the fact that we've been entrusted with the gospel. Are we, let me just read it again, providing that food for the household, seeing it served out at proper times and seasons? Are we taking care of the gospel in that way? Giving account of opportunities? That doesn't mean every time you talk to somebody about the Lord, they're going to trust Christ. That, that's not a guarantee. But by you giving out a track or you starting a gospel conversation, it's being found faithful. And Paul is setting something up for these Corinthian believers. They were getting spiritually lazy. They had many, many teachers. And they were in a very wealthy area. They had really wants of nothing. And so they started getting comfortable. You ever seen someone get comfortable when it's time to move? How about when you're watching the game and you've been there for about an hour and a half and you get up, what's the first thing you do? You shake a leg. When you're sitting for a long time, it's hard to get back up and get into something. You always got to be moving in the Lord. You always got to be moving on to the next thing. You got to be Faithful in prayer. Pray without ceasing. you got to be reading the Word of God. Memorize it. Put it to knowledge. Put it to your account. Be a good steward with what God has given you. It's right here. It's right here. Look at what it says in verse 3. But it is a very small... Uh, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So Paul is saying, however you look at me, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not justified by anything that I have done of myself. I'm not justified by what man says about me. What he says at the end of that verse is, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. That's why in verse 1, he says, let us... Uh, let a man so count of us as the ministers of Christ. That should be how you are defined. You give this to a teenager, and they can run with it. It changes their life. They realize the household they're in doesn't define them. Their circumstances are not a definition of who they are. In the eyes of God, they were so valuable that God sent His Son to die for their sins, and then after they've trusted in Christ, now he gives them opportunity. That's a great thing. It motivated the Apostle Paul. It motivated Peter. Do you remember how impulsive Peter was? How quick he was to deny Christ those three times? You know what he told Jesus when he was informed he would do that? Not I. Not I. And what happened? The third time when that rooster gave its call, Peter knew. And now look at him. You look at him in Acts, right? 
And he's out there preaching the word. He's out there doing miracles. He's being thrown in jail, and he's still preaching the gospel. That responsibility that's been given to us can change you if you apply it to your life. It can change you if you apply it to your life. And Paul is saying, Corinthians, you are so puffed up in knowledge. And you may sit in judgment over me, but only God can judge me. Now, Paul's not going around and getting neck tattoos, you know, and like doing all this weird stuff and saying only God can judge me. You're going to see what Paul was going through and what he experienced in this chapter. Look at verse 5. As he says at the end of verse 4, but he that judgeth me is the Lord, he brings it back into focus, which you, if you just draw a line over to 1 Corinthians 3.12, you'll see how these things line up. But in 1 Corinthians 4.5, it says, Therefore judgeth nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest, make known the counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And we can understand that as have due praise of God. God knows why you do what you do. And he will judge both the living and the dead. There's a time that's coming. Listen, Christian, it's not your job. I wish I had a magnifying glass. But it's not your job to go around in other Christians' lives and see how good they are. Jesus talked about that. You look at the speck in your brother's eye, but there's a giant, there's a big problem with your eye. We have to be careful that we don't become so lifted up in pride and in knowledge that we begin to inspect other people's lives, that we begin to pull them to our standard. And Paul is saying here the hidden things of darkness, they're going to be made known. The light's going to turn on, and we're going to see. We are going to see, and that's why it says in verse 1, he is a steward of the mysteries of God. The gospel message, the teachings that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, communicated to those believers in these letters and to you and me years later. Isn't it amazing that you can see these truths in Scripture and there's never an ending of application to your life? If you have a desire to please the Lord, you'll find something you can do better for Him. And isn't it nice that you don't have to do those things better in order to keep your salvation? He already gave you that. <laughs> Blessed assurance. That's why that song uh, is called Blessed Assurance. Can you imagine if we didn't have assurance? They'd say temporary assurance. Currently He's mine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. He's saying, I'm an example. I am an example to you. These things, doing things for the right reason, I came in as an example to you. Now I've left and you've just run amok. You've run crazy into carnality. Don't forget what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. That is the state of that body of believers. They had issues. They had problems. And Paul is reminding them, I was there as an example to you. Read the rest of verse 6. That ye might learn in us, and here's what you need to underline. This is the theme of this, this little chapter here. 
in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So here you have a church, you have a body of believers. The gospel is present, but among this large body, different groups begin to pop up. And we know that these groups were popping up in the wrong mentality because Paul says, you're thinking that men are above that which is written. And it's leading you to be puffed up against one another. This is how the devil divides. This is how the devil gets into a ministry and problems occur. How do we stop those things from happening? It starts with you. It starts with your attitude, with my attitude. I did something that I always thought would be a good thing when I became the pastor here. I called other churches. I just called them up. And I said, hi, my name is Pastor Jesse. I've been going to this church, Calvary Community Church, off of George Road for 14-something years, and I have been blessed to be the next pastor, and I'd love to meet with you. And some people called me back, and some people didn't. I am not in competition. I am not calling their members and saying, you know, at Calvary, both the seats and the backs of the pews are padded. We have two air conditionings. It's a nice country church feel. Our shutters are beautiful. I am not trying to steal from their ministries. I want to make friends with these local pastors for two reasons. Number one, if there's an opportunity to clear somebody up on the gospel, I want that opportunity. And listen, it might not happen in the first meeting. Can you imagine? I'm not going to these meetings you know, with a club of the gospel and I'm going to beat him into submission. I have um, a pastor that I work with up in Georgia who's not clear on the gospel. We differ on the word repent. I still call him once a month and just check on how he's doing. And we get the conversation back to that word and then we just back off from it. But you know what? It's an opportunity. I want to encourage those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So my first opportunity is a chance to plant the seed of the gospel. The second one is maybe to encourage a pastor. Because I know how great it would be if I'm sitting in my office and a stranger who was set on calling me wanted to just encourage me. I like that. That would be an encouragement to me. Pray for me tomorrow. I'm going to meet a gentleman. And I'm excited. I am so excited to meet this, this guy. But what's happening here in this church is they were puffed up against one another. They're warring with one another. They have problems. The encouragement was gone. It's, I'm right, you're wrong, let's fight. It was an issue. Look what it says in verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ, uh, uh, differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? This knowledge that you're lifting yourself up from, where'd you get it? Well, we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just a page turn over on your left. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. The question Paul is asking, what have you gotten that you didn't receive? What are you arguing about that you didn't first receive? Look what it says in verse 10. But God, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 2. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, Yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? What is he saying here? The things of man are known by man. What does it say at the end of this verse? 
Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Tie that up with the end of verse 10. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And it has been given us and revealed unto us by His Spirit. So when Paul says, you are lifting yourself up in pride that you think is yours, you need to remind yourself of where you got it from. Where is the humility? Where is the meekness, which is a fruit of the Spirit? Where is the peace and the love and the joy that passes all understanding? There is quarrel. And guys, we're only talking about quarrel, uh, quarrel right now. There was also bad fornication going on. Very, dis- just very bad things. The word is escaping me. Disturbing things that were used as a common practice. This church had issues. And this is the first one that he's tackling. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll finish up in verse 7 here. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now he gets into an ironic tone here. He is, when what he's doing here is not to beat them down, and you'll see later, I'll show you where that is, but he's trying to get them to see this is what you look like. This is what you sound like. Your eyes are so puffed up, you look in the mirror and you don't see what you really are. Look what he says. Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. You sense what he's doing here? He's showing them this is how you sound. Paul just got done saying I'm a minister of Christ. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. And he doesn't mean here, and I would go to God, uh, uh, and I would to God, you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Verse 9, For I think that God hath set forth the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honorable, honorable, but we are despised. You know what I like about this passage? Well, not that I like. Um, It shows you how God can really put you in your place. You have some very strong irony here, but it's needed. If we believe that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, the Corinthian church needed to hear this. Now, how do I know this is a a statement that is not meant to be uh, in any way a real definition of who they are? What did I tell you about 1 Corinthians 3.1? I wanted to speak unto you as spiritual, but you're carnal. Do you see the pride in these statements? They think they're strong. They think they're honorable. So much so that they would look at the apostles and say, yeah, I remember when those guys came, but we've evolved past that. We have commentaries. We have so many Bible studies. Be careful of a ministry that has more Bible studies than souls being one. Than opportunities for souls to be one for Christ. Careful. Careful. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Verse 11, now Paul is about to show them, here's what we've been doing. You've been getting spiritually comfy and lifting yourself up in pride and division against one another. Verse 11, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted. That means they've been stricken, beaten, and have no certain dwelling place. That means at the end of the day, they don't you know, put their feet on their own doormat and put the key in the... Lock and open it up and they're in their own home. No certain dwelling place. What is all this for? They were ministers of Christ. 
They did all those things to first reach the Corinthian church. Continue on. It doesn't stop there. This is called a humbling session. You know what's been, just been served in a couple of verses here? A slice of humble pie, and it's, it's bad. I don't like rhubarb pie. That's how I imagine humble pie. Now, I just offended some of you, and that's okay. Look what it says in verse 12. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world. Now, you're getting a little bit of a peek into this when you hear how Trump supporters are categorized right now. You see it. Now look, it's starting politically, but in the tribulation period, Christians will be looked at as the same way. They are the filth of the world. It will, they, it will cause no hard feelings for a Christian to have their head roll. That is, that is just one part of the persecution that's going to be happening in the worst amount of time, uh, the worst period of time that man has ever seen. You see how Paul is, is, is describing what he was going through? Do you hear how he is trying to reach this ministry? Look what it says at the end of verses uh, 13 and 14. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. They're despised. They're rejected. But it was so worth it. It was so worth it in Paul's mind. And he, you can see that in what he says in verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. I see the parallel here in how God deals with all of His children. They will receive chastening or scourging if necessary in this, in this life. You ever been disciplined by the Lord? Taken down a few pegs? Maybe just fall off the whole ladder and have to get back on it again. And you can see the heart of Paul here. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to get all my anger out at you so I can feel better. Look, Paul knows I'm not judged by you. I'm judged by God. But I love you. And I want you to do better. I want to show you this error so you can stop doing it. I'm so thankful for the way that I was raised. So thankful. I was, we were just talking to my uncle when he came in about the Junior Ranger program. I love that stuff. Those are just sweet memories for me. But I'm also glad that when I needed it, the belt hit my bottom several times. Because you know what? I'm a child. I was a child. Let me rephrase that. I was a child. And I needed correcting. I was talking to a ranch kid a couple of days ago, and they're going through some tough stuff. And they had a little bit of an issue with how they looked at their parents. And I said, let me just tell you right out the gate here. Here's you. Here's your parents. You always submit to them. Always bring honor to them. It's not your job to sit in judgment. <laughs> you ever sat in judgment over your parents when you were a kid? It's not fair. If they only knew. I don't say that to mock our teenagers, but it happens a lot. Children need to submit. And Paul is saying here, I'm trying to warn you. And he even used the word beloved, which is a very personal word. Verse, four, uh, verse 15, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not so many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. 
The gospel is what brought you into this opportunity to even serve the Lord in the right way. And he caps off this little phrase or this uh, little part here where he says, Wherefore, I beg you, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now, I don't think that Paul was saying, go through the buffeting, go through this, go through that as a follower of me. Paul is saying, in the way that I serve the Lord, you do that also. Get yourself aligned back onto why you are able to do what you are doing right now. The gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be a, a, a mass in our lives that we revolve around. We don't go out of that. Or, when, when we leave that, when we go on to something else, and I've seen it happen. People get so caught up in uh, other doctrine. I've seen people that are so pre-trib that they just don't even see the point in talking to somebody about the gospel first. They want to get them to a certain doctrinal position. I've seen individuals where they're always finding something new in the Scripture, but they're not willing to talk about the good old story. You've got to be careful of those things. You've got to be careful of those things. It does not lead to any kind of profitable experience for you or the people that you're trying to reach. We're going to wrap up here with these last couple of verses. Verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Look at the definition of Timothy. Faithful. Man, I really... I do what I do because one day I want the Lord to say, well done. It's not the only reason, but I just want to give back. And I want you to be able to see that you can do the same thing. And Timothy, the first description of him outside being someone that Paul had won to the Lord, faithful. Are you faithful? Is that a definition of you? It's a good question to ask. Who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ? Now, have you been marking? Anytime you see in Christ there, Paul speaking about himself, you can all tie it back to verses 1 and 2. He was faithful as a steward should be. I heard a very good description by Freddie Coyle about stewards. He said, if you were to leave your house and you needed someone to take care of it and you have many things that needed to be taken care of over a long period of time, you would want somebody who is responsible, who has demonstrated themselves as faithful. It leaks into every part of church leadership. This is why we just don't put anyone into a Sunday school class. This is why not simply anyone can be an elder or a deacon or even the pastor. There are requirements that need to be met. And I want to encourage you to see what this church, this, this ministry here in Corinth was going through and put those little guardrails up for yourself so that you're not lifted up in the same way. Verse 18. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. As it, well, he's never coming back, so let's just talk it up. Uh-oh. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. See, because the truth has power. 
And Paul knew this Corinthian church was so puffed up in their own knowledge, they had forgotten their origin story. We are nothing without the saving grace of the Gospel. We are nothing without God's constant care for us. I was talking with a friend of mine, this was several years ago, and he was talking to me about how we're always bothered when we're in traffic. You know, it's just never a good thing to be in traffic, especially if you have a place that you're trying to get to, if you're running late, maybe even you left early and you're running into traffic, there's an accident or something else going on. And he was saying for a while that really was a problem for him. It was leading him to sin. He had a lot of anger and he had a lot of just problems that were coming from this, this position of I'm being inconvenienced right now because I'm trying to get somewhere. And he started thinking about traffic differently and it helped him. And this is what he thought. He thought maybe the Lord is getting me to slow down because if I would have been speeding down the way I normally would have, I would have gotten an accident. Or this is time to spend with the Lord. Time that I didn't plan for, but because I've got it now, I can use it for Him. And so he gets a chance to get on his Bluetooth headset and he calls people when he's in unexpected traffic. And he asks for prayer for him. There's always something that we can do a little bit better if we're looking to improve upon our situation. And as it says here, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Where's the power of our lives? Where does it come from? What is it? The power is the justification that we have received. The righteousness of God that has been given to all those that believe. So as we continue to walk with the Lord, as we have the opportunities to serve, serve for the right reasons from the right place. And Paul ends this chapter by saying, what will you? What are you going to do? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Looking to have some correction? Now remember, he's not trying to beat them into submission. You saw the heart that he had in verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons to warn you. So the end of verse 21, or in love and in the spirit of meekness. Now Paul was a hard man. He was probably somebody where you're like, at first, grit the teeth, like that guy again. But you know what? Many people came to love Paul because of the love he had for those individuals. Willing to have hard conversations about the truth resulted in many people trusting in the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God used Paul to do great things. And we studied in Acts uh, a little bit last year, Paul's conversion and, and, and how he was stopped on the road to Damascus and how he was informed in the home of Ananias, I will show you what great things you must suffer for my name. Man. That attitude, that humility is something that you and I should possess. A character trait that we should have. It, just check yourself often. How you doing in that area? If it's something that's growing up and growing up, you need, to, you need to nip it before it turns into something where someone else has to correct you. I've been rebuked before. I was a college student here and I'm glad that there were many times where my professors put me in my place. <laughs> 
Because there was pride that was boiling up. Remember, we had a bad habit of being late to Greek class. You can speculate on that if you want. I've given you my position on Greek. <laughs> but I remember, and Bob, I don't know if you remember this, we had, a, we had a time where we were late, and you wrote on the board one word, integrity. And I sat in my chair, and I thought, I'm not displaying that right now. Even if I'm late by two or three minutes, I'm not displaying that right now. But it took somebody who had to do a little bit of correction. And he wasn't trying to beat us down, and none of my professors disciplined us out of anger or trying to just leave us there crippled like, can't do anything else now. It was for the opportunity to fix it, to get it right. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope you too, as you receive correction from the Lord, are thankful for it. Because unlike any earthly authoritarian figure in your life, God will never discipline you the wrong way. It'll never be out of anger. It'll never be to destroy you. It'll always be out of love and to edify you. Nice little chapter, huh? Get ready for chapter 5. Get ready. Some tough love if you've ever done seen it. <laughs> Boy, this gospel message, I just, I was talking to Blake. I don't know if you guys saw, but Blake was a young man who was sitting over here this morning. Love Blake. He uh, basically quit his job, started working with his dad so that he could focus on school this semester. As a teacher, you see that and you're like, that's it's another person who's excited about the Lord. But he came this morning and we were talking and he said, after the message, he walked up here and he said, Jesse, um, I don't know if you have time this week. And I said, I will make time for you. What do you need? And he said, uh, well, I want to just show you what I've been doing with the wallet illustration. I've been practicing it and getting it down and you just want to fly when you hear that. Not because, oh, a, you know, the wallet illustration is the only way, but it's a great illustration to show somebody in a, in, a, in a relatively short amount of time what they need to do to know they're going to heaven. And I said, yes, on Tuesday, you just knock on my office door and show me what you've got. And it reminded me of the times where I went after having a real bad soul winning experience. And I stood in the mirror at my house and I learned that wall illustration. And that, it took me three weeks to get back to soul winning. But the next time I went, I knew it like the back of my hand. And I knew the verses, and I knew how to say a certain line, and then to listen and ask a follow-up question. And that began to change my life. I became so confident in that message. And the, the, wa the, the wallet illustration is just a, it's just a vehicle for that message. But I, I, I do not get tired of doing the wallet illustration because it's just so good. Remember the first time I saw it, I was sitting right over there on a Wednesday night after I was just absolutely puzzled. We sang every verse in the hymnal on a Wednesday night? No, no, no. In my church, it was first and last. And then when the message started, it wasn't two verses, it was two books. One in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. He's asking me to hold my finger in all these different places. I only have four I still need my thumbs to flip around. But at the end, I saw this wall illustration and I was like, wow, that's pretty good. 
This hand represents you and me. My wallet represents sin. I'm going to put this on top of my hand because we have all sinned. The payment for sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. But God loves us. It's the sin that He hates because this sin, it separates us from Him. The standard to get to heaven is found in the law. It's perfection. And we all fall short. That's why we're all sinners. If this piece of paper here were to represent all the good works a man could ever do, we cannot take our good works and apply it as a payment for our sin. It just doesn't work that way. Very clearly, the Scripture says, the wages of sin is death. Not. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. We have a clear problem. Every Democrat has a problem. Every Republican has a problem. Every single person in the world has this sin problem. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He was perfect, fully God and fully man. And He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, I love that word, love that word, because that's anybody. You know how freeing that is? There's not one person I could go out there and say, ooh, I can't talk to them. Ooh, salvation does not extend to them. Every single person. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Yes, you can. Remind yourself of it constantly. There are people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They have put their trust in Him. But they don't read their Bibles and they get caught up in false teaching and they lose their assurance. And that's a sad thing. And we get emails often about that. You can know that you have eternal life. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved forever. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, do you remember the day and the hour? You know what you could say? No, but you do. I can't wait to get there. I really hope the rapture happens in my lifetime. Don't you? <sighs> Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? I hope the answer is yes. And if you haven't, I urge you to put your trust in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here this evening and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have not believed on Him for your salvation, would you do that right where you're sitting? Maybe you're sitting at your computer at home watching on the live stream. Maybe you're watching this years later. The offer is always there as long as you are alive. I encourage you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all a person has to do to be saved. Trust in Him. It's a one-time thing. Then you are given the free gift of everlasting life. It's a certain kind of life. It lasts forever. It's not kept by you. You did nothing to earn it. You can't do anything to keep it. But now that you are saved, learn to serve the Lord. Learn to love Him in prayer, in Bible study. Reach out to somebody else with this same good news. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for Case. The great work he's doing in Bolivia. Pray for him as he's here as a time of refreshing and then safety as he goes back. And support him if you can by coming to chapel.
by listening to his radio episode as well. Father, thank you so much for another good night of reading your word. It's hard sometimes to stop at the end of a chapter. We just want to keep going and see how the rest of it is. Thank you for giving us a completed word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope and comfort that we have because of what he did. Bless us as we go back home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.